For RCR-TV, I'm Sean Kinney, and welcome to HetNet Happenings, where we take a look at all things DAS, small cell, Wi-Fi, and much more. Welcome back to HetNet Happenings. You know, it's uh, just about a week later, and I think I'm finally recovering from a CES up in Las Vegas. We had the crew up there last week to kind of take a look at a lot of the consumer products, but really we were more focused on uh, industrial Internet of Things applications. Uh, IoT in general was a dominant topic. I'd say, you know, it's the consumer electronics show, so obviously most of it was consumer-facing. But we did get to spend some time with a lot of uh, chip companies that are doing similar work in IoT, but uh, very different verticals, very different use cases. So I wanted to take a look at a few of those today. And the idea at looking down to the chip level is to really sort of get a fundamental understanding of IoT because you have a lot of concerns around chips, particularly in the industrial space and particularly around power consumption and battery life. These are both really big deals when you consider maybe, and you know, this is a hypothetical, but an enterprise that has uh, thousands of uh, light meters, you know, they need those things to be deployed and then to hold up in the field for as long as possible because it's just, it's uh, inefficient to be constantly monitoring things that are supposed to be automated. So let's start by hearing from Iran Ashed, who is the co-founder of Altair Semiconductor, which is based over in Israel. These guys are really focused on uh, Cat1 LTE chips. They've got that price point down to around $15 a unit, which makes it really appealing for an industrial use case. So let's hear from Iran about the power saving mode associated with these Cat1 chips. Altair is, a, uh, is an LTE chip company. Uh, we've been around for 10 plus years. And our strategy from day one was uh, focused around developing um, high performance and yet very cost uh, and power uh, efficient uh, LTE only chipset as opposed to chipsets that have fallback to 2G and 3G and older uh, technologies. Um, I guess that until maybe two years ago or so, uh, most of our business was uh, centered around broadband uh, products and, uh, you know, things like computing platforms, tablets, Chromebooks, netbooks, uh, gateways, CPEs, MiFi's, dongles, and, and such. And these were category three and above, so 100 plus megabits per second. Pretty obvious uh, use case. The value proposition has always been, uh, you know, it's a great, uh, it's a great chipset, works well, very low power, but lower cost. Right? That was really the, the main selling point because it did not support uh, you know, 3G and 2G and these older technologies. Uh, but about two years ago or so, we identified that uh, there was a need uh, for uh, a long-range wireless uh, technology to connect you know, a very wide range of uh, what today is known as IoT applications, previously M2M, uh, uh, in a sense. And... Um, uh, back then, um, the um, LT standards were not as well developed in the lower categories as they are today. Uh, there was only um, a variant known as category one. Uh, you know, it's 10 megabit per second uh, downlink five up. Uh, but uh, we, uh, we figured that from a, you know, a, a standards progression uh, perspective, 
there's, there was going to be at least a you know, three to four year window of being able to ship a product. We designed a dedicated, optimized chipset for category one, whereas most of the other players in the market basically said, you know, it's an interim uh, thing. We'll basically just remark our category four chipsets, sell them at a discount, and migrate into the next generation, which uh, I'll talk about in a second. But basically, that turned out to be a pretty big advantage uh, for Altair in the market, because today we have uh, chipsets that are extremely small, um, uh, extremely low power. Uh, and this maybe ties into uh, some of the activities that we've done with Ericsson, uh, AT&T, and some other partners, Verizon, uh, as well, in, in previous conferences. Uh, we've shown that a Category 1 chipset with power save mode and extended uh, DRX can achieve uh, can achieve more than 10 years worth of battery life. Of course, depending on the scenario, um, you know, if you have a, a wearable device that has to be idling all the time and listening, uh, you know, it may last for weeks. Uh, but if you have a smart meter that needs to wake up once a day, transmit 100 bytes, and go back back to sleep, you know, this is 10 years or more on you know, two AA batteries. So pretty significant uh, you know, power reduction compared to higher categories. Uh, cost, which uh, um, you know, was announced, uh, I think, today or yesterday in the AT&T Developers Conference. They announced a 1499 Category 1 module uh, based on WNC, uh, which uses our chipset inside. So we've also you know, got the cost down very significantly. Um, and in uh, size, which is kind of the third pillar. Uh, we have modules which are almost the size of Wi-Fi today. So that's what we have, uh, what we have today and expect to see uh, a bunch of applications in the, uh, in the utilities uh, space, telematics, you know, usage-based insurance tracking, uh, vehicle financing, uh, security uh, system, alarm panels. I mean, every application that needs uh, long-range wireless link uh, and potentially was based on 2G before these networks are being shut off uh, needs to migrate to something. Uh, there's a big advantage for LTE versus the uh, proprietary technologies, you know, LPWA like uh, LoRa, Sigfox, etc. Kind of outside the scope of this discussion, but um, but basically, um, you know, very, very uh, intense level of activity uh, in the channels uh, today. Next generation of products is going to even uh, further improve uh, power efficiency, cost, category M, narrowband, IoT. These are all part of release 13 of the standards coming uh, you know, in a year or so. So there is a pretty robust roadmap for LTE uh, in that whole IoT space. Uh, we're in for the long haul. Uh, we've proven that we can uh, you know, sustain ourselves and uh, survive in uh, very highly consolidated market, uh, we intend to stay there. So, so I think uh, that is a good question, and uh, it tends to the answers tend to get a little oversimplified looking at one dimension, which is module cost or chipset cost. People tend to, I think, overrate uh, that. There's a capex element, there's an opex element, but there's a total cost of ownership, TCO, right? Total cost of ownership, this is what you really have to look at uh, when trying to uh, figure out if, if a business model works or not. And the module cost is only uh, you know, a part of that. So say 
you know, if we uh, reduced, we were able to reduce the module cost to, I don't know, a dollar, okay? And the carrier would still charge $10 a month for the service. Obviously, that would be a no start. Uh, and, and the other way around. So there has to be a very fine balance between uh, these two. Uh, I think we've solved the chipset uh, part. And when I say, say solved, I mean that I think we've gotten to a point where, you know, if it's 50 cents more or less, does not fundamentally change, you know, the ROI model and the viability of the business model. Uh, there's a lot of work going into reducing the, uh, or um, I would say restructuring the, the SLAs, the service level agreements uh, from carriers, making it, you know, more like a $2 per year per end device. Uh, the combination of these two, I think, uh, and of course a need, there has to be a need. But uh, so far, cellular has just been too expensive, too power hungry. Uh, and, you know, certifications and provisioning and SIMs, and it's just been a pretty challenging experience for, uh, for folks. Our aim is to make this thing as simple as Wi-Fi or Bluetooth. You know, don't have to worry about provisioning and SIMs and uh, you know, it's just so simple. You have an API, connect, disconnect, you talk to the network. There's already, you know, pre-installed uh, cloud uh, clients that enable you to connect to, you know, standard cloud platforms like AWS and Google and what have you. It really has to be simple if we want this thing to uh, get off the ground. And, and I'm, I'm very glad to say that uh, all fronts are moving forward, not always at the same pace, but we definitely see um, very significant movement uh, forward in that sense. Some great points there from Iran, particularly around the business case associated with a large-scale enterprise IoT deployment. So now let's switch gears a little bit. We're going to look at a very different type of processor and a very different type of application. Uh, last year at CES, we spent some time with NVIDIA to get an understanding of uh, deep learning and neural networks, which is essentially giving a computer the ability to think like a human. The use case here is autonomous driving, and uh, NVIDIA is doing something really different with their Drive PX2 platform. Instead of putting all of that compute power in the cloud and making it accessible to a vehicle, they're putting a supercomputer in your vehicle. This thing's about the size of a I don't know, maybe a lunchbox, I guess, and it's just got a insane amount of power. I think it's uh, eight teraflops or something like this. It's a functional equivalent of a 150 some odd MacBook Pros. But anyway, it, we're going to hear from Dave Anderson uh, from NVIDIA about the Drive PX2 platform and what it really means for autonomous driving. So I'm Dave Anderson. Uh, I'm senior manager of automotive integration uh, for NVIDIA. And here at CES uh, 2016, um, one of our major product announcements was our NVIDIA Drive uh, PX2 uh, platform. Um, this is a brand new supercomputer uh, for automotive applications. And this supercomputer is powering the next generation of autonomous vehicle applications uh, in vehicle. And it's an amazing platform um, that has literally over eight teraflops uh, worth of processing capability. And to kind of put that in perspective, that's about the functional equivalent of 150 uh, MacBook Pros. Um, this platform is enabling, as I said before, artificial intelligence in vehicle. And the way that we're doing that is we're using uh, deep learning and creating neural networks that will run on our Drive PX2 platform. Uh, this essentially allows this computer to become a self-learning uh, platform. 
Uh, we're then customizing that neural network through another NVIDIA technology that we call NVIDIA Drive Net. NVIDIA Drive Net is a neural network that can be customized using different data sets like Kitty or Cityscapes to identify objects or other things that might be interesting for the vehicle to see. Um, we've then taken that one step further and we've actually provided an entire development tool chain uh, for Drive PX2 as well. Um, this is called NVIDIA Drive Works. NVIDIA Drive Works allows our developers and our researchers to build the next generation of semi-autonomous applications that will actually run on uh, Drive PX. And the really beautiful thing about Drive PX is that it seamlessly integrates into the vehicle. So it has all the interfaces that are necessary to make it accessible to many different sensor types uh, that would be used on the vehicle that might include things like LiDAR or long and short range radar or ultrasonic sensors or even mini optical cameras uh, on vehicle. So our vision uh, for this uh, platform is that this is basically a supercomputer that's fully integrated into the vehicle. So this is a single platform that's literally the size of about a, about a, you know, a child's lunchbox. And again, massively capable platform. And the reason for that is, is that you really need to make you know, real-time decisions uh, for the guidance uh, of your vehicle. So you need to have all that processing power on board. So um, the, the training algorithms that we use for DrivePX are actually done using another uh, NVIDIA technology that we call NVIDIA uh, Digits DevBox. Um, this is a really sophisticated workstation that allows our researchers to program um, these neural networks uh, with different data sets to actually teach uh, the vehicle. Uh, the other thing that uh, Digits allows us to do is actually take um, images and, and scenes um, that perhaps the vehicle hasn't seen before and re-customize or customize those, those algorithms again uh, to give a greater level of, of functionality or to essentially help the vehicle to learn. Um, that sort of generationally continues to advance the software that's actually in the vehicle. So um, one of our first uh, customers who's actually using NVIDIA Drive PX2 is Volvo. Uh, Volvo has a piloted uh, driving program uh, that they call DriveMe uh, that's going to take place in 2017. And we are using NVIDIA Drive PX2 to actually power uh, the first 100 vehicles uh, that Volvo is creating. They're XC90s that are basically being modified to be autonomous vehicles. Uh, the outlook is, is very bright uh, for autonomous vehicles overall. I think if you've seen anything here at CES, uh, definitely one, one uh, thread remains true with all the OEMs here. Uh, you see a lot of vehicles that are equipped with different sensors and there's a lot of discussion around how vehicles are becoming semi-autonomous and then fully autonomous in the future. So that's really why the timing of what we're creating is so critical to the industry. So the one other thing that is always nice to talk about is uh, NVIDIA is a, a, you know, a visual computing company. Uh, so one of the really important things um, as we go forward with sort of the interior of the vehicle and the user experience that we have as drivers of these autonomous vehicles is how do we visualize and understand all of this really intense uh, sensor data that our vehicle is, is, is experiencing? And how do we feel comfortable as drivers of these now autonomous uh, vehicle platforms? Uh, so behind me, you see this really large uh, spectacle of, of the interior uh, of, a, of a vehicle. And we did this to sort of exaggerate the functionality of what you might see inside of an of a, a autonomous vehicle. And what we've done in the, in the area that normally would be the reconfigurable cluster is we've presented a view of the world uh, that we're actually getting from our Drive PX2 system, but we've done it in a refined way where it's very intuitive to understand what the vehicle is experiencing, how the vehicle is going to take its next uh, turn or its overall trajectory, uh, and to make you feel comfortable as a driver of that world around you um, that essentially your car is seeing, and to have confidence in, in you know, essentially how your car is going to behave.
NVIDIA is a really interesting company. And if you want to know more about the work they're doing around deep learning and neural networks, I'd encourage you to check out some of our archives on the RCR Wireless News YouTube channel because we've filmed a good bit with them over the years and there's some really informative stuff in there. And so now in this last segment, I want to look at yet another use case for IoT uh, chipsets. In this particular one, we're going to talk to Imagination Technologies. Uh, a lot of our viewers might know them for their GPU uh, processing of PowerVR, which is a really a standard in the in the gaming uh, space. So uh, that's one of their fortes. But Imagination does a lot of other stuff. Uh, they particularly uh, have a really strong portfolio around the MIPS processors, and that's what's included in what we're going to see in this next clip. We're going to take a look at their Creator CI40 Dev Kit which is designed for people like you and me to, to play with at home and come up with these really interesting IoT applications. So let's take a look at the Creator Kit. Hi, I'm Paul Evans. I'm Director of Business Development with Imagination, uh, and I'd like to introduce you to the CI40. Uh, CI40 is a next-generation Creator Kit from Imagination, uh, and this kit in particular focuses on IoT and how you put things together with IoT quite quickly. So just very briefly, uh, in the middle of the kit is an IoT hub, supports things like Wi-Fi, Bluetooth, uh, 802.15.4 for 6 low pan, etc. Uh, and the kit comes with a number of uh, these devices here that allow you to remotely connect in, put your batteries in, add whichever sensors you want, and then quickly put yourself together uh, an IoT kit. So what we've got here, uh, on the, the over on the left-hand side here now, is um, are basically an example where somebody's used this type of kit and built themselves a, a flood, uh, an entire um, IoT type system. And what this is, is a, a company in Portugal and they're working on uh, a, a project with a number of farms to save water. So they're growing blueberry cops and they want to reduce the amount of water that's consumed. And so what they do is they have these sensors that go out in the field, uh, they measure things like humidity, temperature, um, moisture in the ground, etc. and they decide when to irrigate the fields or not. That information is sent up um, through a number of these hubs and across the, the, the farm itself, up into the cloud. That data is then analyzed and you can see uh, the data here on the screen and they run an algorithm that decides, okay, when do we turn the irrigation on and off? And that's represented over here in our lovely um, green and pink bucket. So the kit itself uh, that should be shipping in uh, sort of March, April time frame of next year. Uh, pricing still TDB. Um, we did have a Kickstarter campaign where we were running these kits uh, in terms of uh, dollars that was uh, over a hundred dollars so I suspect this kit is going to be sort of mid hundred-ish type dollars um, but pricing still to be finalized. So with the kit right now, uh, we've got a number of people working on uh, sort of alpha and beta type projects. Uh, I'll give you some examples. We've got guys working on, on drones. We've got guys working on microbreweries, uh, car park sensors. We've got another guy who's got a home stereo system where he sort of uh, uses motion sensors to turn on and off the left and right hand speakers, start the audio, stop the audio. Um, so quite a number of projects that are already afoot, you know, like I said, in the early stages uh, with the kit. All right, that was Paul Evans from Imagination Technologies talking to us about one of their IoT-geared product lines. And, uh, you know, I think that was a good sort of cross-section of what was available there at CES. We looked a little bit at industrial IoT, a little bit about autonomous driving, and then uh, that is a consumer product there at the end, so we're trying to stay true to that consumer electronic show angle. 
But, uh, you know, we've got 357 days, I think, until CES uh, next year. So hopefully uh, that'll be enough time for me to get over this last trip to Vegas. In the meantime, we've got a great show coming up for you next week. We're going to take you inside the AT&T Drive Studio out in Atlanta, which is a really interesting workshop where the folks at AT&T collaborate with automakers to come up with these sort of uh, modular connected car systems that you'll eventually see in a make and model available to you. While we were in Atlanta visiting the Drive Studio, also had time to check out the Digital Life product line, so we're going to take a look at that next week as well. In the meantime, I'm Sean Kinney, and I'll see you right back here next week for another episode of HeadNet Happenings. HeadNet Happenings is a production of RCR-TV. To reach Sean Kinney or to suggest a show topic for HeadNet Happenings, you can reach Sean at skinney at rcrwireless.com. On Twitter at SeanKinneyRCR. To find out more about the latest in HeadNet and all things wireless, dig into rcrwireless.com.